Good morning and welcome. My name's Craig. I'm the senior pastor here and it is my privilege to have you with us if you're a guest. Thank you so much. I uh, really appreciate you making time out of what has become a rainy Sunday to be with us. So thank you so much for being with us. Hopefully you listened to Adam and you filled out that connection card either in your, uh, your folder, your worship folder there or online at malvernhill.org slash connect. The other thing related to uh, those of you who are visiting with us this afternoon at four o'clock, I do have a next steps class. So if you visit with us once or if you visit with us 30 times or 300 times, but you've never joined, I would encourage you to consider that next step with us. I will meet you right here in the sanctuary at four o'clock, rain or shine, and I will escort you to another classroom in this building so that you can find it. And from there, uh, we'll walk through. The class will take about 45 minutes to an hour, and you guys will actually be the very first group to go through our new next steps guide. So we're excited about that and the way that's gonna work out. All right. Hopefully by now, uh, I didn't tell you, but I should have, we're in Acts chapter 28. Uh, we are finishing the book of Acts. We began this journey in Acts in February of 2022, and we're making it through the end beginning today. So uh, I'm so glad that you've joined us for that. Because we are closing it out, we're going to read all of those verses beginning in Acts chapter 28, verse 17. So I'm going to ask if you would to stand with me in honor of God's word, and I'm going to read to you. This is the, the word of the Lord. Please pay attention. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for death, or excuse me, for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against." When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears, they can barely hear. And with their eyes, they have, or in their eyes, they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you and praise you. Thank you for this word. I pray, Lord God, you would allow me to preach it with boldness. And Father God, may our hearts receive it without hindrance. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. How do you arrive somewhere? Now, I don't just mean like some of you that like to walk in and have like a, an arrival if you're late or something like that. I mean, how do you arrive? You go on a trip, you've been on a journey, you're headed somewhere. Let me just explain the way I do it. I, I get there, I walk in, I get my bag set down, and, and I like to sit, 
right? I do. It doesn't matter if I'm headed home or if I'm headed to a vacation or I just like to get there and to relax for a little while. Uh, as a matter of fact, a lot of times I go, well, I'm here. There's no reason. So we go on vacation. We rent a house somewhere. A lot of you like to go places and you rent place and then you do all these stuff when you get there. Not me. If I'm paying money to rent the house, I want to be in the house, right? I'll, I'm going to use that space that I've paid for and I'm going to enjoy every moment of it. Well, the Apostle Paul obviously hadn't rented a place. He was a prisoner. Um, and he was under house arrest. He finally arrives in Rome. Now, you'll remember, we've been working our way with the Apostle Paul all this while. Um, Paul's journey towards Rome actually begins in Jerusalem where he's arrested. And he's arrested, we believe, in about A.D. 58 in the summertime there. And he remains in Roman custody, first in Jerusalem, and then he ends up in Caesarea. He's there for a while. And after a little while, he appeals to Caesar. And finally, Paul is transferred towards Rome. And we've been looking at that over the past several weeks. Um, but you'll remember Paul's journey towards Rome involved ships and it involved shipwreck. involved three months on the island of Malta. So basically, here's what's happened. Paul has been a prisoner of the Roman government government since the summer of AD 58. Somewhere in about the fall, we believe, of AD 59, he boards a ship for Rome, shipwrecked, three months on Malta. We are now somewhere in the neighborhood of AD, AD, my, my words run together, not AT, but AD, uh, Anno Domini. Uh, somewhere in the year of our Lord, AD 60, middle of February, maybe into March. That's kind of where we are when Paul finally arrives in Rome. And we could understand, now Paul has been a prisoner and has been tossed about, he's been abused, he's been shipwrecked, all this for two and a half years, you can imagine. Now remember, Paul gets to Jerusalem and finally the Lord says, you got to go to Rome. And he says, you're going to get there and when you get there, I've got a job for you to do to speak to Caesar. You can imagine that when Paul got there, Paul might have said, I have finally arrived. After all of that, shipwreck, abuse, uh, imprisonment, <sighs> Finally, everything is working out just as we had hoped for, and here I am. And to some degree, we might, even, we might even justify that. We might even defend Paul if that was his effort. But look, Paul didn't arrive there and just sit down. The Bible says that when Paul got there, he got, got right to work. Paul didn't get there and retire from the ministry that God had called him to. When Paul found himself in the place that God said he was going to be, Paul had other plans. And folks, let me just encourage you today. The purpose behind this sermon is for you to, keep, to be reminded that you should have other plans too. The place that God has for you, the place of promise that he has intended for you is not the place for your retirement and your relaxation, your rest and ease. It's the place where God's called you to be purposeful in the ministry to which he's called you. So this morning there are three things I want us to see from this passage of scripture as we close out the book of Romans. And the first thing I want you to be reminded of is just like the Apostle Paul, your prison may be God's promise. Your prison may be God's promise. Listen, when the Lord tells you that something's going to happen in your life, if he had done that as he did in the Apostle Paul's life, and he said, you're going to go to Rome and stand before Caesar, probably Paul didn't really believe that that meant that he was going to go in change. You know what I mean? He probably didn't have a, an expectation that he was going to go as a prisoner and he was going to stand before Caesar that way. Instead, there was probably this thought for the Apostle Paul that he would get to do that as he had, right? Maybe like he did at the Oropagus. He was going to stand up in front of these people. He was going to stand up in front of Caesar and he was going to proclaim the good news of the gospel. But God had other plans for him. You see, it was in prison that, God, that Paul was going to find God's promise. Y'all, listen to me. Our part, your part in God's plan 
is not to presume, but to participate. Paul could have stood around and wrung his hands and wondered what in the world God got planned for me, but he didn't. When the Lord got him to Rome, Paul said, I find myself in the middle of God's promises for my life, and as a result, I got to get busy. There's a job for me to do once I got here. And y'all, that's the same thing for you. Your prison might be God's promise. How many of y'all could testify this morning to times in your life when things seemed to be really bad or really wrong or really hard where something hurt or somebody was hurt or something was broken and it was in those hard places that you discovered so much of God's purpose and plan in your life. That it was in those hard places that you learned. Oftentimes it was even in those hard places that you ministered to others most powerfully. That's because it's your prison that might be the place of God's promise. It's in the hard places, the difficult moments, the difficult times of life. Y'all, we don't just sit around and go, well, I wonder what God wants or I wonder why God has me here. No, no, wherever God has us, that's the place. Why? Because God often does his best work in the most unlikely places. God often does his best work in the most unlikely places. Listen, I, you don't have to take my word for it. We can go to places like a lion's den where God did an incredible thing through Daniel. We can look at three Hebrew young men walking around in a fire as the Lord protected them from it and did great things through them. We can see God doing a powerful work on Mount Carmel with a flooded altar and a soaking wet sacrifice and the fire of the Lord falling as Elijah called on the name of the Lord and consuming that entire sacrifice. We can see Ezekiel prophesying to a valley of dry bones and the Lord using the power of those spoken words to bring life in that valley. We can see a borrowed tomb and a dead buried Savior being brought back to life and God redeeming all of lost humanity through that act. God often does his best work in the most unlikely places. So it really shouldn't be a surprise to us Shouldn't be a surprise that God had an incredible, powerful plan for Paul right there in prison. Now look, Paul was under house arrest, okay? We don't fully understand all the intricacies behind that. What you need to know is that Paul was confined to his residence. He had the opportunity, opportunity sort of in quotes, right? The responsibility to care for himself. He could either feed himself or he's going to starve kind of thing. So he's probably tent making like he'd always done. And yet watch what he's done. He still sees that prison as a place where he can serve the Lord because the first thing that Paul did was not to kick back and say, well, I finally made it, I've arrived. No, no, what Paul did is he did the exact same thing he'd always done. He began to invite the Jews to come. Now, remember, earlier in Paul's ministry, he would have gone to the synagogues and he would have ministered and he would have served. Well, he's confined to house arrest. Okay? The place of God's promise for Paul was a prison. Now, I don't know where the place of promise is for you. I don't know where the place is that God's called you to or the place that God has brought you to. But look, it, it may be a prison, it may be something else, but here's what you need to know is that the place of promise is a place of possibility. It's not a place of arrival. It's not a place of arrival. Now, we, we all kind of go places in, in different sorts of ways, right? Some of y'all like to get in the car and you've got a place you need to be. So if you're leaving here and you're driving home, your goal is to see how fast you can get there. Because the only thing in your matters in your mind is getting from point A to point B. Other people, like me, tend to see the car as a place that can be enjoyable. My kids can't understand. Why don't, why don't you go faster? Why, do, why are you driving so slow? Well, I mean, there is this whole speed limit thing. Um, but the other thing for me is, like, if I'm in the car 
and I got air conditioning and I got good music or I got a podcast or I got somebody I can talk to. I, I got something to do that I enjoy. I can take and enjoy the process just as much as I can enjoy the place of arrival. We need to be willing to do that. Listen, God is at work in our lives, not only in the place, but in the process, in the preparation. It happens. Why? Because your past and your present are preparing you for God's promise. But look, some of you are wasting your preparation. You're sitting around going, well, when the Lord finally gets me where I want to be, then I'm going to jump in. When God got Paul to Rome, what did Paul do? The same thing he had always done. It turns out that all of that other work that the Lord had been using Paul to do, all that other preaching, all that other ministry, turns out that when he got to Rome, the only thing that changed was the place. The process didn't shift. The purpose didn't shift. The place of God's promise for Paul was not a place of arrival. It was a, a place of opportunity, right? Y'all, when you get to the place that God's called you to go, don't believe that you get there just to sit down. Well, I finally made it. Let me pull out my magazines and have a great time. No, no, no. Why? Because God takes you there to bless other people. He blesses you to bless others. We're called to be a channel of blessings, right? Not, not a holding place for them. No, no, they come into our lives and then we continue to spread them beyond. Those may be material blessings. They may be uh, financial blessings. Y'all, they may be blessings of hospitality or hope. They may be the blessings of proclaiming the word of God. Whatever it is that God's given to me, though, I have not just the, the opportunity, but, or excuse me, not just the responsibility, but the opportunity to participate in God's plan by sharing those blessings with others. Paul understood that. And so he said, y'all, come on, I got something you need to know about. Now, what was funny is they got there and, and they were like, we don't really know much about you, Paul, but we know that this whole sect, this whole Christianity thing, this followers of Jesus is catching a lot of attention. Maybe you could teach us a little bit about it. Isn't that crazy? The Lord had prepared the way before Paul ever got there. Y'all, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to discover it a lot of times in your life that when you get to the place that God's sending you, God's already been there before you got there. And he's already lined things up so that when the message is preached, that message aligns with the preparation that God's been doing in the hearts of his people. Okay? Look, God's purpose for you is not primarily a location, but a vocation. Paul understood that. He got to Rome, but he didn't assume that getting to Rome was his, was his job. He recognized that Rome was just the place, the position for Paul to do the thing. Now, what is a vocation? Remember, it's a calling. God's primary purpose for you in your life is not the place, but the purpose. God, God, God has a plan and he has a calling in your life. Now listen, what we want to do is we want to look and see, and right here in chapter, um, chapter 17, verse 25, um, Paul says, in disagreeing among themselves, uh, they departed and Paul made one statement. He said, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through the prophet Isaiah, Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear. and With their eyes they've closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. So here's what's happened. These people show up under, under Paul's invitation. They come, they hear what he's going to be about and then they bring more people back. And the whole world shows up. Not the whole world, you get it. But a whole lot of these Jews show up. These people that live in Rome. And Paul preaches all day long. It's great, right? Don't y'all wish y'all could show up and I'd just preach all day? Maybe next week we'll do that. Um, 
But Paul just preaches all day long. And he just shucks it all the way down for him and gives it all to him. Just absolutely just drowns them in the word. And they're doing all right. And then the Bible says, let's back back up a minute. Um, in verse 20, uh, 24, nope, not right. Um, oh, no, uh, I've lost it. Yeah, 24, I was right. Some were convinced by what he had to say, but others disbelieved. The, the original word, the original language carries this idea, not just that they were unconvinced, but that they refused to believe. As a matter of fact, some translations put it that way. They wouldn't hear it. The apostle Paul began to speak, and rather than listening, they just said, we, don't, but we will not believe what you have to say. Now remember, Paul understood that the place of promise was a place of possibility, so Paul quotes to them from the book of Isaiah. When they won't listen, he, he quotes Isaiah chapter 6. Any of y'all know anything about Isaiah chapter 6? It's a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty important passage of Scripture in, in the Old Testament. It's pretty, uh, pretty, pretty well known. So the prophet Isaiah writes one of the longest books in the Old Testament. Um, and he, he's a powerful court prophet, but Isaiah's call to ministry actually is recorded in Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, is in the temple and he's worshiping and he's praying and the Lord appears to Isaiah. And the Bible says that the Lord appeared to Isaiah high and lifted up and that surrounding the Lord on his throne were, were seraphim and they were flying around the Lord and they were proclaiming to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is this powerful image and Isaiah is just dumbstruck, he's awestruck in this place. And Isaiah's response is, woe is me, for I'm an unclean man and I dwell among people of unclean lips. He says, Lord God, I, I, I'm just dead right here on the spot. And the Bible says that through a series of things, the Lord began to speak to Isaiah and the Lord, there was a, there was a sort of a cleansing of Isaiah. And then the Lord asks this question. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Some of y'all heard this preach in a missionary service. And Isaiah said, here I am, I, Lord, send me. And then we say, who wants to give their heart to Jesus and come and commit themselves to, you know, international missions? We don't preach the second part of that passage. Because, look, if Isaiah had known what he was committing to, he might not have said yes. Because the rest of that is when Isaiah says, I'll go and I'll do whatever you call upon me to do. The Lord says to Isaiah, I want you to say to these people that they're not going to hear and they're not going to see that their eyes are going to become dim, their ears are going to become deaf. He says, Isaiah, you're going to preach a message of judgment and the more you preach, the harder their hearts are going to get because they don't want to hear what I have to say. It's that message that that the Apostle Paul quotes back to these Jews gathered in Rome. And the people understood immediately when Paul said it, what Paul meant. When Paul was speaking to them, what Paul was saying was, you will not hear the word of God. Now here's what Paul knew and here's what Isaiah knew. They both knew that if they had just tweaked their message just a little bit, they could have, they could have made it more enjoyable for the people they were speaking to. Isaiah could have looked at the people and said, well, God loves you just like you are and it's going to be all right. Y'all just give him a little bit more of your attention. You can have a little bit of God and, and, and a little bit of everything else. Isaiah, Isaiah could have done that. The apostle Paul could have looked at these Jews that were gathered and he could have said to them, well, look, 
It's okay if you don't, if you don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's, it's alright if you don't really believe that He's the Messiah. But if you just, just think on it for a while, and you can take a little bit of that and a little bit of this, and we'll just mix it all up together, and then everybody can be happy. And Paul could have done that. Just like Isaiah could have done that. But here's the problem. If either of them had watered down the gospel, they may have made their hearers happy, but they would have never gotten their hearers saved. They could have watered down the message, and in so doing, they might have even attracted a larger audience, but they would have damned multitudes of those who would follow after them because they would have not spoken the clear and true message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What Paul understood was that the place of promise was a place of possibility, but he also understood that that place of possibility might not have been exactly the way he expected it. So he says to them, you won't listen, but the Gentiles will. See, here's what Paul knew. Paul knew that if God had called him to that place, he'd called him to that place for a purpose. And Paul knew he'd been called to go to the Gentiles. And Paul's heart broke for the Jews. But he was unwilling to water down the gospel because he knew that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope for a lost and dying world. That it is only in the name of Jesus Christ that men, women, boys, and girls could be saved. Y'all, the place of promise is a place of possibility, but it's a place of possibility only if we're willing to work. God, God sent Paul to Rome. Paul could have just sat down and said, well, Lord, I've arrived now. What? But he didn't. Not only did he preach to the people, the Bible says that while he was in prison, excuse me, what we understand from studying our Bibles is that while he was in prison there in Rome, Paul wrote at least four of the New Testament books. He wrote to the Ephesians. He wrote to the Philippians, the Colossians. He wrote the book to Philemon. He did that while he was there. He's also working to support himself financially. He's also preparing for the time when he'll stand in front of Caesar and give an appeal for his own life. And he's ministering and preaching to everybody that shows up. Y'all listen, the place of promise is a place of possibility. It's not a place of arrival. And we got to see that. We have to understand that. I need y'all to see that. Sometimes we can look around at the blessings that God's given us. And that might mean something as, as wonderful as looking around the way that God's blessed our church. And seeing people come to Christ, we had another young lady come, come forward this morning, haven't recently given her life to Jesus, come forward as a baptism candidate. We celebrate that, right? We baptized about 40 people last year. It's wonderful to see what God's doing here. But the place of promise is a place of possibility. It's not a place of arrival. And if we do believe that this is part of God's promise in our life, then we can't just stop. But here's the other thing. If some of you go, well, we haven't gotten to the place that I think is the place of promise, and we're on the way. Well, then listen to me. If we're still on the way, then some of y'all got to stop hurrying so much to get from point A to part, point B and start participating in the process. Enjoying what God has for you in the moment. Experiencing it because when Paul got to Rome, nothing changed. He was the same guy doing the same thing. Some of y'all think everything's going to shift when you get there, but it won't. God has a purpose for you, and part of his purpose is to use the process on the way to the promise to prepare you. There's a lot of P's, by the way. We'll get out of this alliteration next week. I had to preach with a handheld microphone last time. We had to disinfect it afterward because I just spit all over it. I didn't mean to, but I mean, it was just everywhere. It was bad. It was real bad. All right, so the place of promise, the place of possibility, it's not only that. Watch this. You ready? The place of promise is only part of God's plan. Now, look, 
Paul made it to Rome. But Paul wasn't finished when he got here. Now, Acts ends abruptly. We're going to look at that in just a Well, let's just look at it right now. So he says in verse 30, He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul understood that this promise was only part of God's plan. Now, we don't know for 100%, but tradition holds, and some writers in the church tell us that the Apostle Paul didn't die in Rome during this imprisonment. Matter of fact, the writer of Acts seems to suggest that's the case. Luke's told us about everybody else that died, but when we get to this passage, we end the book of Acts in Acts 28 with just saying, and Paul lived there two whole years, okay? He knew what happened because he knew how long he'd been there. It seems reasonable that Luke would have told us if Paul died, and he doesn't say that. We got a couple of other um, church, uh, some pastors and some historians uh, who tell us that he made it. So Clement of Alexandria and Eusebius suggest that Paul survived. He made it out of Rome. He left from there and he went on and he preached some more. As a matter of fact, we do believe that he left Rome and he, he wrote at least two more of the New Testament books in Titus and 1 Timothy. And then he was imprisoned again, possibly under Nero. And it was during that second imprisonment that he wrote that letter to Timothy, the second letter where he says, Timothy, it's all over with. Like, the walls are closing in. I've run, I've, I've finished my race. I've fought the good fight. Timothy, come see me. I need you. Okay? So this is what we believe is happening in Paul's life. But here's what I need you to understand. Paul understood that the place of promise was only part of God's plan. It wasn't all of it. He didn't get out of prison or out of house arrest in Rome and then retire. He didn't get out of house arrest and hang up his missionary robe and say, well, that was good enough. I'm done. Lord, I've suffered enough. I mean, Lord, let's just be honest. Years of ministry on the road, years in prison, shipwreck, abuse, left for dead. God, I think I've done enough. I mean, honestly, could any of us blame him if Paul said, I've, I've, I've done all I can do? Rome didn't become a retirement home for Paul. Christians do not retire. They rest, refill, and re-engage. Now look, I want to be sensitive, but I want to be honest. You don't age out of service in Christ's kingdom. You don't age out of service in Christ's kingdom. You don't become an empty nester and you've done your job. You don't turn 70 and you fulfilled your responsibilities. That's not the way this works. God's called us to more. And listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. There are too many of us in this church to not be able to accomplish all the things that need to be done. One of the things that we're trying to do right now as a church is we recognize a real need in our community for there to be a special needs ministry. And we want to see that special needs ministry take place here at Malvern Hill. Here's the reality. We need a lot of help to pull that off. And if I can just be totally honest with you, we're struggling to get enough help to make that happen. And some of the reason we're struggling to get enough help to make that happen is because too many people believe that when they arrive in the place of God's promise that there's time for them to hang up their missionary robe and to sit back and relax. 
Listen, it doesn't matter if you're 70. You don't get to sit back and say, well, look at what God's done. Look at what I did when I was younger. Now I'm going to enjoy it all. Some of y'all have convinced yourself you're too old to serve faithfully in God's kingdom. And some of y'all that have convinced yourself of that watched 70-year-olds coach football yesterday and celebrated what they did. If a 70-year-old can coach college football, I assure you they can rock babies in the nursery or serve in a special needs ministry or lead life groups. It can happen. It can absolutely happen. And if you're not convinced about what 70-year-olds can do in college football, some of y'all are still ready to vote for 75 and 80-year-olds to run for president of this country and you believe they can serve as president, but you don't believe you can serve in God's kingdom. We can't have it both ways. We can't have it both ways. The place of God's promise is only part of God's plan. And when Paul got to the place of the promise, he didn't quit, he didn't retire. He didn't check out, he re-engaged. When he got released, he re-engaged in the mission. And the Bible says he went on to Spain. The Bible doesn't say that. We believe, we believe that he went on to Spain. That's what church tradition teaches, okay? But regardless of whether he did or not, here's what we know. We know that there is no 29th chapter in the book of Acts. The reason there's no 29th chapter in the book of Acts is because of this. Acts 29 is your chapter to write. It's our chapter to write. The book of Acts ends very odd. It's weird. It's abrupt. Why? Because the task remained unfinished. The missionary call was what in Acts 1.8? That we should go and make disciples. That was in Matthew uh, 28 and then Acts 1.8. What do we do? We go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Paul made it to Rome. What was Rome? Rome was not the end of the earth. Rome was the center of the known world at that time. Paul made it right to the heart of the known world. But the gospel had not made it to the ends of the earth. Acts 29 is our responsibility to carry the mission of the cross, the mission of Christ beyond Rome, into all the places that God has put us and he's placed us. We have a responsibility to go beyond the place of Paul's promise into the place that God's placed us and to carry the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And y'all, the missionary need, the missionary call is too great for us to ignore. We've got to go. And the time is now for the church of Jesus Christ to rise up and to see the blessings that we enjoy as followers of Jesus are ours not to sit back on, but ours to carry to our neighbors, and our family members, and our friends and to the uttermost parts of the world. See, the place of promise is only part of God's plan. But you, you're the part of God's plan that's been called to carry the promise to others who do not yet know him. And so what happens now? What happens now? Where do we go? Ultimately, that's the question, right? Acts 28 leaves us with a cliffhanger. What now? And you're the ones with the answers. What now? Are you just going to retire and say, well, we've made it? Or 
Are you going to re-engage? Are you going to step up to the plate? Some of you, listen, you're in a difficult spot in life. And it may be hard to see, but for some of you, the hard place that God's put you might be the promise that he has for you because it's in that prison that he's going to do his greatest work in your life. Or that he's going to use you to do your, his greatest work in the lives of others. Y'all, he may be, that may be the place of his promise. That prison might be the place of his preparation in your life where he's making you into what is usable in his kingdom. For some of you, you need to be reminded that the promise is a place of possibility. And I am. I'm speaking especially to my Malvern Hill folks above the age of about 55 or 60. Listen, God hadn't brought you this far so you could sit back and do nothing. He brought you this far. He brought you this far so that you can engage. Let me just, just, let me just say it. If you're over the age of 60, chances are you have more time than you've ever had in your life. You just do. I'm not mad at you about it. I'm not. I'm thrilled to death for you. I look forward to the day when I don't have kid commitment six nights out of the week. I am excited about it. It'll be great. You'll miss it. I know. I'll miss them. I will not miss six nights a week with my tongue hanging out, okay? That part I'm not going to miss. Right? Y'all have got the time. I need you to be serious about the gospel. And some of you just need to be reminded that the promise was only a part of God's plan. See, you can look back and say, oh, those were the good days. But you forgot to carry the mission with you beyond that place. And so what now? There's two things. First of all, there's some of you here today that the thing that you need to do is you need to recognize that that promise that Paul was carrying to others, that promise that Paul's called followers of Jesus to carry, that promise, the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you need to acknowledge that you've never given your life to Christ. And today, the first step for you in pursuing God's promise in your life is to give your heart and life to Jesus. To know before you leave this place today that if you were to die, that you would stand before God and you'd be able to say, my future, my salvation, my eternal hope is secure because Jesus Christ died to save me from my sins. And if you don't know that today, in just a moment we stand and sing, I'd invite you to come. I'd love to introduce you to Jesus. But there are others in here today that as we sing, your response needs to be a response of repentance and recommitment. You need to acknowledge that as you've made it to the, to the end of Acts, that you spent a whole lot of time appreciating the literary qualities of this book. You spent a whole lot of time appreciating all that you've learned, but you've not spent very much time imitating the Apostle Paul and proclaiming the promise of Jesus to others. Some of you need to come and say, Lord God, I have retired and it's time that I re-engaged. As we sing this morning, I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to work, but I'm going to pray that as he works, that you'd respond. That you would invite him to work in your life and to bring about a change. So the next thing in your life, in the life of Malvern Hill, in the life of Kershaw County, the next thing is another person proclaiming the hope of Jesus Christ to those who desperately need to hear it. Pray with me this morning. Father God, I thank you for loving us and thank you for Jesus who died to save us from our sin. Thank you for the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Thank you, Lord God, that we can learn from Paul. Father God, I pray that we'd be changed by your spirit. 
Move among us, we pray. May we, Lord God, look more like the church of Acts in the coming days, weeks, and years. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us this morning. And as the Lord works, please respond.